Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Whale Nerds podcast. This is episode 136, and my name is Caitlin. And this week, we're going to talk about North Atlantic right whale moms and calves from the 2022 and 2023 breeding season. But before we do that, I just want to um, talk about a few other things really quickly. First of all, say thank you to all of you that have been supporting us over the past few years, um, whether that's on Patreon, coming on trips, listening to the podcast, telling friends about it, rating or reviewing the podcast, and uh, yeah, just following along with us as we um, share our passion and our knowledge about whales around the world. Um, also, just some updates for us. Um, you may have heard this in previous episodes, but throughout 2023, we're going to be podcasting and um, posting episodes twice a month just so that we can kind of keep up with our own work schedules and make sure that we have time to do all the things that we need and want to do throughout the year. Uh, you can also check out a new post up on our conservation blog. And if you are looking for an update on the April trips, Saturday, April 22nd is sold out. Um, but there are still a few seats left. I think there's six seats left for Friday, the 21st. So if you want to join us and you're available on Friday, April 21st, definitely would love to have you on the boat with us in Moss Landing, California. And then on April 22nd, which is Earth Day, after the trip at two o'clock, we're going to be doing a beach cleanup at Del Monte Beach in Monterey. So if you happen to be in the Monterey area, even if you're not going on the trip, the beach cleanup is a collaboration with Save Our Shores and the Whale Nerds, and it's open to the public. We would love to have you help out for a couple hours, show your appreciation for Mother Earth, and clean the beach. Um, Del Monte Beach tends to be a place that always needs cleaning um, between people that camp along the shorelines and leave debris behind, and then also just the typical weather pattern. Uh, there tends to be a lot of trash that washes up on the shore there, um, either from the wharf um, or in the harbor or just because the wind pushes it right there into that beach. And uh, there's lots of parking in that area. It's easy to get to. There are restrooms nearby. Um, typically pretty flat walk. There might be a little bit of a, an, an extra dune build up by the... Um, building there at the beginning of Del Monte Beach. Sometimes after they've been dredging in the harbor, they pile up the sand there, but uh, you can walk on the bike path around until you go to a flatter spot to access the beach too. So fairly easy and accessible. Um, if you want to bring your family, uh, it's a good place for small kids and uh, you can even ride your bike down there and there's uh, places to lock your bikes up too. So hope to see you there. We'll provide gear. Uh, like gloves and, and bags and buckets and things like that. But if you want to bring your own gloves or trash pickers, it's definitely encouraged and um, definitely bring some protection and your own water, preferably in a reusable container. Um, there's links on our website to sign up in advance if you want to make sure that you get all the updates from us and save our shores. Otherwise, we would ha be happy to just have you show up at two o'clock on Saturday, April 22nd. Um, I have seen a few people over the last couple of weeks purchase merch off our website. Thank you so much, first of all. Um, but also, I love seeing our gear out in the wild. So um, I hope to see you walking around with hats and shirts and all that good stuff. Also, video versions of our episodes are available on YouTube from episode 100 onward. So if you would like to watch the video version of the episodes, you're welcome to do that. So for sightings... Um, we still have a few whales around in Maui, and um, 
it's getting close to the end. So we're starting to see a lot of them go had a few competition groups, but mostly it's been all about moms and calves. I feel like the end of March and especially the beginning of April is moms and calves. Sometimes there's escorts around, but it's lots of babies getting ready uh, to head north on that migration. They're kind of the last phase of the northbound migration because they want to make sure they're as prepared as possible. And this is a time of year where the calves mostly are, are pretty big and the moms will tend to take them quite a ways out from the shoreline and be out in the middle of the channels, start get them in some rough water, kind of get them ready to build up even more of that strength and endurance and just be used to being in bouncy and rough seas, which when it's windy is really tough for boat operators because like, you know, they're out in the rough water, but it's either so windy that it's hard to pick them out from the white caps or it's so bouncy that it's hard to sit with them because it's not comfortable on the boat, <laughs> but is what it is. We just have a couple weeks left of whale watching, um, Lahaina side, our Ma'alaya side operations at pack whale already stopped whale watching. They do still see whales on occasion as they're going on their snorkel trips, but they've shifted their focus away from whale watching, which is usually what we do by the end of March on that side of the Island. And then we try to make it through to the end of April, um, on Lahaina side, but it really depends year to year, like what's going on with the whales. Um, but a couple of nights ago, I did have quite a few whales, um, lots of moms and calves, but I did actually see some pairs of adults and we had a couple singers around, which was good because the whale song has started to dwindle as well. And, um, it's harder and harder to find a quiet place to drop the hydrophone where you think you're going to pick up good whale song. I mean, during the peak of the season, you just look for a solo whale and you're like, oh, perfect. Here's the singer. Um, and even if there's another boat nearby, usually the whale is so loud that it doesn't matter. You can hear it over the engines, but now this time of year, you really got to like find a calm spot where you can shut the boat off. That's also away from all the other boat traffic and everybody's really scrounging for whales so you hardly have whales to yourself this time of year i mean if it's flat calm you can go as far away from the harbor as you want and you'll, you'll probably still luck out and find one and get to hang out with it by yourself for a while um, which is good for you but also good for the whales but when it gets rougher or the lighting is tough then uh, sometimes you end up sharing whales with a couple different boats at least for a little while but only really happens towards the end of the season and uh, pretty soon uh, the other boat companies are going to kind of stop whale watching, shift their focus to um, just like sailing and cruises and snorkel trips. So yeah, things are winded down here in Maui, but still great, great action every couple days and uh, still whales being seen every day. I did have some good sightings of spinner dolphins a couple times off and on. Um, one of the days I could have swore I saw them during the safety briefing and I like got distracted while I was talking and then like couldn't find him again. So I just finished the safety briefing and then said to the people, like, I don't know if it was a fish, if it was a dolphin, but I just saw something. So I'm just going to keep going this way until I figure out what it was. And just as I gave up, the naturalist came up and um, got the microphone and started talking. And she was like, oh, there's dolphins right here. And I was like, oh, my gosh. OK, they were there the whole time. <laughs> and then we ended up having a, a, a wonderful encounter with them for about 30 minutes. And um they started hunting and we had, I think between 12 to 15 brown footed boobies also hunting and sitting on the water. It was like the most seabirds I've seen in any trip. 
And so that was pretty awesome. The springtime, the dolphins kind of start coming back in on a more regular basis and you still get the birds. Uh, the boobies don't nest on Maui, but they do come into the basin to look for food. And then we do have wedge-tailed shearwaters that nest on Maui and um, they're starting to show up a lot. Like in the evenings, like on dinner cruise and stuff, there's lots of them swirling around um, near shore because they're getting ready to come into their burrows for the night. So really nice uh, shearwater watching. And I could have swore maybe a week ago, I saw a, a decent sized flock of sooty shearwaters come through. I don't think they were juvenile wedge tail shearwaters. I think they were sooty shearwaters, but I don't have any photos to confirm. So um, cool bird watching in the springtime. And um, I feel like no one appreciates my bird nerdiness on the boat because they're all focused on like snorkeling and whale watching, but I'm having a good time over the last uh, week that I'm here before I take off. So um, I do want to take a few minutes to talk about a species that's near and dear to my heart that always just has a tough story. Um, one of one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen is North Atlantic right whales from shore. You know, they're animals that you can't get within 500 yards of on a boat, but if you're watching them on a beach at high tide, sometimes you're only a few hundred yards away from them. And uh, even though it was pouring rain, it was cloudy, the photos were terrible. I got to watch about a dozen North Atlantic right whales, which is a serious portion of their population. Um, a couple of years ago, feeding on on the beaches in um, Massachusetts. And so it's something that's still going on right now. We posted a update about it a couple of days ago with location and all that uh, real-time information for those of you that follow along from New England. Um, definitely try and go see these incredible animals from the beach. Um, they've been feeding along the shorelines near Cape Cod Bay for a couple of weeks. And um, usually at some point during the winter season, we cover an update on the births. We haven't done that yet this year. So um, since breeding season is all wrapped up, the whales are moving north. I wanted to talk about um, how many calves we had this year, who are the moms, and um, just kind of any other little bit of information about uh, their population. So this year there were 12 calves documented. However, there were only 11 moms documented. So what happened there is on January 3rd of 2023, there was a newborn male right whale calf sighted near Beaufort Inlet in North Carolina. Um, but despite an extensive search, researchers were not able to locate the mom. And then uh, just a few days later, the calf was found dead on January 7th. Um, it kind of got rafted up underneath a pier. They did a full necropsy. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, tissue samples were taken to try and make a genetic match to a mom. Um, but all that information is still being processed at the lab. So there are no updates as of right now. Um, but if there is an update, um, we'll probably share it on social media. So definitely keep an eye on our Facebook page for that. Or you can check out um, the NOAA Fisheries uh, website that covers all of this information. They have um, two pretty good uh, real-time update pages that they have for North Atlantic right whales. Uh, most of the whales are on their way north, have been seen at least in New England, if not further up. And um, again, lots of whales feeding in, somewhere in, in and around Cape Cod Bay off the Massachusetts coastline. So our moms for 2023... This information was compiled and posted on 
um, the North Atlantic right whale calving season 2023 webpage through NOAA fisheries. This is their endangered species conservation section um, and it's New England slash mid-Atlantic and the Southeast sections of, of NOAA. Um, I'll put a link to this on our Facebook page when I post the episode and that way you can kind of check out these websites as well. So our first mom of the season that is on the list is uh, right whale 1012, which her name is P. Diddle. I had to look this up what P. Diddle is. So it's um, it's a like term for a car with only one headlight. And she does have like this asymmetrical dot on the left side of her face. She has a dot. And then on the right side, she doesn't um, down like towards her blowhole past her callosities. So um, they named her P. Diddle because it looks like she has one headlight. Um, it's kind of like if you didn't know where a right whale's eye was, you'd maybe think that that spot was her eye. So a survey team from Clearwater Marine Aquarium Research Institute spotted P. Diddle with her calf on January 20th of 2023, about 18 miles east of Blackbeard Island, Georgia. P. Diddle is at least 45 years old, and this is her ninth documented calf. And uh, she is quite a prolific mom in the right whale world, but unfortunately, only three females uh, are still among us as her descendants. Her two thousand herself, her two thousand nine calf, which is uh, catalog number thirty nine twelve, and her grand calf forty forty. Her first granddaughter, Snow Cone, who we um, posted a lot of updates about on our Facebook page, and her calf Cottontail, both likely died um, due to entanglement in fishing gear last year. Um, so Snow Cone was entangled while pregnant, gave birth, still was entangled and had the calf in tow. I believe some like bystanders thought they were helping and they ended up trimming the line, which then made it even more difficult for the actual entanglement response team to mount a, a successful disentanglement. And she's not really been seen, um, I think since last spring, it's been over a year, I think she, since she was seen. So our second mom of the season, Spindle, her catalog number is 1204. Um, she and her calf were sighted on January 7th of 2023, east of St. Catharines Island in Georgia. Spindle is at least 41 years old, and this is her 10th documented calf. She's now had more calves than any other North Atlantic right whale. Despite being one of the most prolific moms um, we know of, only two of her calves are female, and she only has one known grand calf. Spindle was named for the callosity pattern on her head, which resembles a, tra a traditional baluster or spindle on a staircase. Unfortunately, scientists cited Spindle's 2019 female calf with a severe entanglement and poor body condition on January 8th of 2023. So these females are trying their best to live many decades. You know, to our first two moms are in their 40s. They've had nine and 10 calves each. And yet that genetic information is only making it one more generation past them, maybe two more generations past them and their babies and grandbabies are just not living the long, healthy lives that these females have lived. And so even though these moms are doing their best um, to, to add to this population, the survivorship of their calves and grand calves is just, it's really low. So our third mom is a mom named Pilgrim. Her catalog number is 4340. 
Beachgoers cited this uh, right whale mom and calf on December 30th of 2022, just off Canaveral National Seashore in Florida. The Beachgoers uh, reported the sighting to the Marine Resource Council right whale volunteer sighting network hotline. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. I love it. Um, and then uh, the Marine Resources Council, who is a NOAA partner, was able to identify the mom as 4340 or Pilgrim. She's 10 years old, and this is her first known calf. Um, after this mom and calf's uh, first sighting, they were traveling southward. And on January 4th, they were seen near St. Lucie Inlet in Florida. And uh, that's a little further south than they typically migrate. Pilgrim was named after her initial sighting location. She was first seen as a very young calf with her mom, Wart, in Cape Cod Bay near Plymouth, Massachusetts. Researchers think she was actually born in the Northeast region instead of the typical right whale calving grounds of the Southeast United States. So maybe right whales have no rules, just like humpback whales. Our next mom on the list is a whale named War. Her catalog number is 1812. North Atlantic right whale 1812, also known as War, and her calf were sighted on December 29th, 2022, about 11 miles off of St. Mary's River boarding, oh, excuse me, St. Mary's River, which is the border between Georgia and Florida. This right whale mom is at least 35 years old, and this is her seventh documented calf. One of, the, of her two known female calves is unfortunately presumed to be dead. The researchers see three of her offspring on a regular basis, including another female born in 2016 who survived a severe vessel strike when she was young. War is named after the War of 1812 and for the callosities on her head um, that resemble cannons. So her catalog number is 1812, and then she has marks on her head that look like cannons. Our next mom on the list is Viola. Her catalog number is 2029. A survey team from Clearwater Marine Aquarium Research Institute spotted Viola and her newborn calf December 29, 2022, about nine miles east of Amelia Island in Florida. Viola was named for the shape of the colossi on her head, which resembles the stringed instrument. Viola is 33 years old, and this is her fourth documented calf. Her last known calf was born in 2011, so that is a huge gap between calves, over a decade gap between calves. Uh, three years is considered healthy or normal interval between right whale births, but now females are having calves every seven to 10 years on average. We have talked about that in previous episodes, um, but biologists believe that stress caused by entanglement in fishing gear, collisions with boats and ships, and um, those two are reasons why females are calving less or not calving at all. Viola was actually entangled in fishing gear in 2007 and trained responders were able to partially disentangle her and that allowed her to shed the remaining gear on her own. Our next mom is Aphrodite. Her catalog number is 1701. A survey team from Clearwater Marine Aquarium Research Institute spotted Aphrodite and her calf east of Nassau Sound in Florida on December 29, 2022. She is named for the Greek goddess of love because she has a heart-shaped scar on her side. Aphrodite is 36 years old, and this is her seventh documented calf. Two of these calves are known to be female, and both have gone on to have calves themselves. She actually has four known grand calves. Next mom on the list is Smoke. 
Her catalog number is 2605. Uh, Clearwater Aquarium Research Institute survey team spotted smoke and her calf about 15 miles east of St. Catharines Island, Georgia, on December 26th, 2022. Smoke is 27 years old, and this is her fourth known calf. In November, an aerial survey team actually spotted smoke with another reproductive age female named Caterpillar off the southern coast of Virginia. Um, a HDR Incorporated research team supported by the U.S. Navy successfully attached a short-term suction cup tag to smoke to collect detailed movement and dive data, um, audio recordings of the whale's vo vocalizations, and high-def video. This tag was an important opportunity to learn about the behavior of right whale calves, and the tag was programmed to be released from the animal within 24 hours, at which point researchers tracked it down and collected it. I believe we posted the update about this tagging effort on our Facebook page way back when, but I'll see if I can dig it back up and maybe put it in the comments um, on this episode post because it was pretty interesting data that they collected. Um, Smoke didn't do very much deep diving. She was in kind of like the top 10 meters of water for most of the 24 hours that they tracked her, which really highlights how susceptible to vessel strike these whales are, um, especially when they're migrating and how important it is to have restrictions on vessel speed and have notices to mariners about whales being in the area and things like that. Um, because they really do use the top section of the water column where they are most susceptible to being struck by vessels. And the Eastern seaboard is just an incredibly busy waterway. So our next mom on the list is Portia, and her catalog number is 3293. A survey boat team from the Georgia Department of Natural Resources and Clearwater Marine Aquarium Research Institute spotted Portia and her calf southeast of Osaba Island in Georgia on December 17, 2022. Uh, Portia is at least 26 years old, and this is her third known calf. Her first calf... Right whale number 3893 died in 2018 at the age of 10, and she was just barely entering her reproductive period after uh, she had been chron chronically entangled in fishing gear. Porsche's second calf, which is catalog number 4193, was born in 2011, and he was just two years old when he was found dead entangled in fishing gear. So both of her other babies have died of entanglement. I have lots of hope for this third one. Our next right whale mom does not have a nickname yet, but her catalog number is 1711. A survey team from Clearwater Marine Aquarium Research Institute cited right whale calf 1711, or cited right whale 1711 and her calf east of Cape May in Georgia on December 17, 2022. 1711 is 36 years old, and this is her fourth documented calf. Her other known offspring are all male. They include Bridal, who is catalog number 3311, Calanus, who is catalog number 3996, and Gig, who is catalog 4711. 1711 was born during the 1987 calving season and was the first documented calf of 1710, who went on to have three more documented calves. So, um, 1711 is a whale that has been documented from the season she was born. 
Our next mom on the list is a whale named Archipelago. Her catalog number is 3370. A survey team from Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission cited right whale 3370 with her calf on December 8th of 2022 off of Little St. Simons Island in Georgia. Also known as Archipelago, this right whale mom is at least 20 years old, and this is her third known calf. She had her first known calf in 2009, second calf during the 2019 calving season. Um, her 2009 male calf has actually been sighted fairly recently in 2021. So um, as far as we know, unless we missed a calf for Archipelago, she had a 10-year interval between her first and her second calf. And then again, her last calf in 2019, and then this one just a few years later. So much more normal interval. Our next mom on the list is Medusa. Her catalog number is 1208. She's actually our last mom on the list, mom number 11. And a survey team from Clearwater Marine Aquarium Research Institute cited the first mom-calf pair of the season on December 7, 2022, off St. Catherine Sound in Georgia, Medusa is at least 42 years old, and this is her seventh documented calf. Her last known calf was born in 2012, so quite a big gap between that last calf and then the one this year. The survey team was able to collect a biopsy sample that will will be used genetically to determine the sex of this new calf, so they were able to take a biopsy from Medusa's calf this season. So typically, right whale calving season begins in mid-November and runs through mid-April. They think that right whales are sexually mature sometime around age 12, and they do have about a 12-month pregnancy, and they give birth to a single calf on years that they are reproductive. Uh, Three years is considered a normal and healthy interval between births, but again, what we know now is that with these threats of entanglement and ship strike and just chronic stress on these whales our females are moving those intervals more to like seven to 10 years. Each fall, right whales travel more than a thousand miles from their feeding areas in the waters off of New England and Canada to the shallow coastal waters of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Northeast Florida. The Southeast United States is the only known area where right whales regularly give birth and nurse their young. Um, NOAA Fisheries has designated two areas as critical habitat for right whales, including the Southeast U.S. from Cape Fear, North Carolina, excuse me, Cape Fear, North Carolina, to below Cape Canaveral, Florida, which is an important nursing and calving area. Um, How they monitor these right whales is um, during breeding season especially, but they do this sometimes during feeding season too is they use aerial surveys. So right now um, that's mostly conducted with helicopter flights. It's a collaboration between NOAA, the Navy, Army Corps of Engineers, U.S. Coast Guard, Georgia Department of Natural Resources. And then um, there are key partners in the monitoring from Clearwater Marine Aquarium, Florida Fish and Wildlife, and the New England Aquarium. So they're trying to have real-time data about the seasonal presence of right whales and their habitat use, and then turn that into alerts for mariners, boaters, and partners um, about the whereabouts and locations of the whales. Um, They also want to monitor the calving reproductive history of our females and also how many calves are born every year. And then if it's possible 
to collect biopsies, they will do that. And so having the aerial team really pinpoint where those whales are to give that information to the boat team is super helpful. Um, and then also they are constantly monitoring for dead, injured, or entangled whales. So um, keeping in, in line with kind of the same messaging across the United States, um, in order to best protect whales from ship strike in general, this is super imperative for North Atlantic right whales, um, is to just kind of remember the program through NOAA called Go Slow, Whales Below. So slower speeds are known to reduce the severity of vessel collisions um, with whales when they occur, and it also gives a boat operator more of an opportunity to avoid a collision if possible. Um, for right whales especially, most vessels 65 feet or longer are required to comply with a mandatory 10-knot seasonal management area um, speed limit. So when I worked in New England, it's kind of a moving box, and so you have to really stay up to date with where the SMA borders are. Um, but when you're in that zone, you have to go 10 knots or less, and um, for commercial operators, um, you need to be transmitting on AIS and they will be checking your compliance by monitoring your vessel on AIS. So when you're <clears throat> in those GPS uh, fences of the box, you need to be going 10 knots or slower. And then um, they also encourage just voluntary compliance with smaller vessels, non-commercial operators that are not transmitting on AIS. Um, and, uh, and also that goes for the commercial shipping in the area. So. Um, hopefully that's something that continues to be implemented and maybe gets implemented in other places around the United States where there are ports of entry where we're having lots of vessel strikes like on the west coast of the United States. So yeah, um, definitely give the whales space and be on the lookout. And then just like those beachgoers did in Florida, if you live on the coastlines of, of, of the east coast of the United States and you see a right whale, calling your sighting that way they can go out there and follow up and identify the animal and it could be like during the winter in florida you might be the first people to see that mom and calf you could be the only people that see that mom and calf that season so um, despite being very large animals that are heavily surveyed they do still slip by researchers all the time so super awesome that a couple beachgoers saw them and then knew who to call and took the time to call in the sighting um these North Atlantic right whales are just really in dire straits. There are under 350 of them remaining and um, everything we can do to make their, their stretch of the coast safer and um, a happier place for them um, is, is really the best we can do to give them an opportunity to continue to reproduce and hopefully build their numbers back up because it would be really tragic to see the end of the North Atlantic right whale after such a huge struggle that they've had, like these whales are still clinging to life and still hanging on after being so heavily exploited by whaling. We have almost lost our opportunity to enjoy these whales so many times and then they're still here. So I think we've just got to do what we can to make this a place where they can thrive. And, you know, if that means opting for slower shipping on our goods, coming across the world, so be it. Like, slow the ships down. It saves fuel. It protects whales. We can all be a little more patient and and wait to get our things. Um, you know, some things, of course, you can't wait for, and some things are out of your control, like how we stock our stores and things like that. But wherever you can have an impact 
either on slowing down the the global shipping or advocating for policies and and speaking to your politicians those people have power to actually slow down ships along our coastlines um whether that's by voting or by calling or writing your representatives that have control over that kind of thing um and, and just sharing with others that these whales exist and share your backyard with you if you live on the east coast and they are incredibly fragile animals even though they look like really rough and tough they are they're very fragile animals and so how can we protect them um and then also advocating for safer fishing gear right now the alternatives to fishing gear are still in testing and um i don't think that we need to remove like i don't think the long term solution is to get rid of crab and lobster fishing entirely i think the solution is making the safe whale safe gear practical and affordable for these fishermen and i think that the consumers should be contributing at the market like the cost that gets put onto the fishermen like we should be paying for that when we buy a lobster not the fishermen's paying for it and then still gets this price per pound from the market who then turns it around and sells it for whatever price per pound they want to the consumer like the consumer the money should go backwards from the consumer to the fishermen um in regards to whale safe gear i would pay a lot more money per pound for crab and lobster if i knew that some of that money was going to contribute to new types of gear for the fishermen to use because they're using what the government has told them they're allowed to use that's just like how it goes and so um, can we make those options more affordable and 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 economically sustainable for these fishermen that, so that they can keep working? Because overall, when you look at the bycatch actually in the trap, crab and lobster don't have a lot of bycatch that ends up being wasted in their pots. It's the issue is the stationary line floating in the water. So if we can solve that part of the problem, I think that these fisheries will start to um, really get back to that pretty sustainable uh, statistic with what they're catching in the trap is actually what they're targeting. I mean, that's my own personal soapbox, but I don't think that the fishermen should be responsible for paying for this whole thing entirely. I think those of us that want to eat their products should also be uh, contributing to the to the cost of it. So anyways, um, yeah, that's what I've got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening. And um, I hope to see you on one of our two April trips in Monterey Bay out of Moss Landing with Blue Ocean Whale Watch or at the beach cleanup. Um, if not, if you do your own beach cleanup somewhere else that's closer to home or clean up your park or whatever it is for Earth Day, you definitely can uh, send the photos and stuff our way. But have a good rest of your week. And thanks so much for joining us. Bye.